HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're getting semantic to understand the deeper meaning behind some of the foods we love. First, we'll look at the big debate happening around the word milk. Who the hell are you to tell me what is the name of my product and my landscape and everything we've cared about when, you know, you don't have anything invested in except to put out a little money to buy it? <laughs> it's our entire life. Then we get the lowdown on the language of cider. So the first thing that's really confusing about dryness is that it has nothing to do with how something actually feels in your mouth. And finally, we get our fill of tiki talk. You don't walk into a tiki bar and be like, oh yeah, this is what Polynesia is probably like. Like, it's, it's supposed to be like fantasy and stuff. That's the hard part. It's so easy to do tiki bad, and that's where it gets a bad name. Tune into this week's episode of Meat and 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from the studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, this show is about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Jonathan Garcia, who is a general manager at Osakana, an innovative fishmonger in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And Osakana is a part of the fish-themed mini-empire founded by Yuji Haraguchi, who came to the show many times, uh, which includes Okonomi, a Japanese-style breakfast place during the day and a ramen shop at night, and Okozushi, a Kyoto-style sushi parlor in all in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And sushi has become a part of the American diet, but you cannot eat sushi or sashimi at home simply because you can't, um, you can almost never find super fresh raw fish at retail stores in the US compared to what you can find everywhere in supermarkets in Japan. But at Osakana, uh, there are plenty of fresh fish every day. So today we'll discuss Jonathan's unique culinary and Japanese cultural experiences that led to his job at Dosakana, what you can buy at Dosakana, and what Jonathan thinks about seafood sustainability and much, much more. 
but quickly before we start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikuatema.com. Now, let's start a conversation with Jonathan Garcia. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, Luna Kiko. So, welcome. And、uh, so, first, I always ask this question where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? I'm from Long Island, a little town called Elmont. It's the home of the Belmont Racetrack, typically、mm. where the Triple Crown is held.、Mm. Um, small town, quiet, but that's where a lot of the tourism comes from.、Right. Um, my family, though, my mom's from Peru, my father's from、uh, Guatemala.、Mm. Uh, so we get a lot of that background in the house, typically.、Right. Yeah. Cool. So, and then how do you get into food? Like, you, you grew up in a food oriented family?、Uh, you could say so.、Uh, my father and my mother, when they were much younger, with my oldest brother, they were. Do like catering and stuff from inside the house. And、uh, my father, when he was young, has been inside the hotel industry. So、wow. that kind of contributed to how most of our family sees food. Like myself and my other middle older brother are very much into food. You know,、mm, uh, that's really a professional yeah. level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, yeah. And just, you know, having that Latin culture, like cooking at home and just feeding your family, eating together, that kind of stuff is.、Uh, Something that was focused on from a young age.、So. Mm, right. So, before the show, we're just looking outside of the studio's <coughs> window where you can see at the Roberta's people eating.、Mm. And Jonathan was so happy just to see people eating. So, that's who you are. Yeah, it just brings a lot of joy just watching people you know, enjoy themselves at a restaurant. And just, it's a whole about like commensality,、mm. just having that experience with each other. Right. That's omotenashi, hospitality <laughs> in Japanese. Okay, so,、um, and I heard you,、uh, you had a very special encounter with Japanese cuisine、um, at the restaurant. So, what was it?、Uh, so, I keep trying to remember exactly what it was for. I think it was for my birthday. I was young, probably 12, 13 years old, and I was visiting my father at the St. Regis. And he asked me, like, What do you want to go eat? And I was like, Oh, let's try sushi. I haven't had it since I was young and younger. And we go to、uh, Kuruma Sushi. And、uh, just, Being a little bit older and understanding a little bit more about food and kind of hospitality in general, and kind of just sharing that moment with my father was very, just kind of blew my mind.、Uh, it was my first time eating very good sushi.、Mm-hmm. You know, I was young, I didn't really know what good sushi was, and、uh, that just kind of planted a seed when I was young, and just it stuck with me for a very long time. Wow, you did the right thing.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So,、um, yeah, of course, Kumazu is really high end. So,、mm. and I think it's also in your mouth as well as the ambience. Right, right. Really it、special. really contributes to that,、uh, that special like, occasion.、Mm, yeah. Right. And uh, also, um, you went to CIA. Yes. Right. So,、mm-hmm. how, what's the sequence of the events? Oh, so it's a pretty long sequence of events.、Um, so, I started off in college. I was a linguistics major and I was. Uh, minoring in Japanese.、Mm. Uh, I took three years of Japanese, and again, that seed that he planted so long ago just kind <laughs> of kept popping up. But it was a random choice. I saw it and I was like, oh, let me try. And、oh, so、that's I, a very wonderful <laughs> Just、uh, fell in love with it. And so I think that experience in the past com- combined with my newfound love for Japanese language、mm. food, led me to the culture, led me to the food, kind of pulled me in a different direction. And Very much internally so. And I dropped out of college 
And, you know, my mom was like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I dropped out and, you know, I asked my father and my sensei of Aikido at the time. And I was wondering what my next step should be. If I feel this pull, should I follow it? And he said, well, my dad is it. Well, if you want to follow it, you should start from the bottom. Because if you can't handle it from the, like the bottom as a porter or dishwasher, it'll be very hard for you to succeed later on. Because mm. if you can't handle those long hours, then it's going to be very tough in the kitchen. Your father is a great mentor. <laughs> You're lucky. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but let me just go back quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, your um, Japanese study hmm. when you did college. How did you go to Japan or how? What, no, uh, I had a lot of opportunities to go mm -hmm. to Japan, but I was more consumed with work, so I decided not to. But uh, I don't know, just it really intrigued me. The language intrigued me. And I mean, studying linguistics, I think at that time kind of helped. It made sense. Mm. Um, cause in high school I studied Latin and, you know, I'm also Hispanic. I don't speak fluently Spanish anymore, but I can understand it. Mm. And it's kind of the same thing with Japanese. I can understand it pretty well, but I get really nervous when I try to talk. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. You but need to have a situation. They have to survive yeah. speaking. <laughs> right. Um, okay. And uh, so, so you went to CIA, mm -hmm. which is to me. I went to the you know upstate New York right. campus. It's always like I feel tension, yeah. energy. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a military or something. Sort of, yeah. I mean, from the outside, I think it looks like a different world, and then you go inside and you see it's just like a normal campus. Uh, but then once you enter the building, right, the main building, it's just peak students running around. There's carts everywhere yeah. <laughs> kids are running to their class because they're late or something and it's just very interesting like if that's how a military school operates that's quite intense <laughs> mm, right because i really pretty easy to tell who graduated from cia and you know, oh, they yeah. have quite strong discipline ah, nice. yeah so you survived yeah thankfully it was a long <laughs> journey but yeah definitely worth i think the time there right and uh so but you quickly mentioned you are you had a sensei mm -hmm. in aikido Right. Yes, so yes. when did you start? That's another Japanese right, right. connection. So I think it almost happened after I left school. I was 21 and I was still uh, working very close on the Upper East Side in this uh, aquatics facility, Asphalt Green. And I was walking by one day and I saw the class, the Aikido class going on. Mm. And I was with my friend Oliver and I just look inside and I'm like, hmm, that sounds interesting. So I take a brochure. I emailed them and I was like, oh, when do you guys do classes? Uh, I have a lot of free time now. So. Mm. Uh, so I came in for a class, I think on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night for beginners. And it was a small dojo, like very, very small and just only six people in the class. And just it drew me in. I used to do Taekwondo when I was younger and I kind of missed having that like balance. Right. And that's what Aikido eventually gave me was like that introduction to kind of really coming from a chaotic time in life to mm. centering everything and learning how to deal with everything that comes my way. Right. Which I'm curious because Aikido, which is, it's not attacking anything. Right. You utilize, leverage right. exactly. the attacker's energy mm -hmm. or power right. and internalize yours. Right. And you kind of mix it with yours and then just kind of move on. <laughs> mm. So what's, what does it teach you? It taught me how to be calm, how to um, really empathize with people. Because a lot of it's like, uh, it's called ukemi. Like you're just... Someone's an attacker, the other person's a defender. But in reality, if you look at it, it's just two people moving um, very in sync with each other. Mm. And that motion, that activity really fed me mentally and emotionally and uh, how to properly handle a whole wide variety of situations. Mm. Uh, just because the mentality of somebody attacking you, you're not attacking them back. 
you know, you're kind of listening to what they're saying, essentially, mm. and trying to resolve that conflict as, pe- as peacefully as you can. So, in other words, you accept what's happening、right. rather than resist、exactly. or control. Yeah, res- accept it and then try to f- kind of figure out how to overcome it and,、mm. and become better from it. In the flow. Yeah. That's so deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can just try to sign up for a little trial class. Yeah. yeah. yeah.、Um, okay. And then you also mentioned quickly、mm-hmm. you worked at the Aquatics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, when I was young, my oldest brother got me the job in Great Neck at Parkwood Pool as a deck boy. So I was just sweeping, cleaning up all the trash. And、um, very quickly, within the next year and a half, two years, I just kind of became the assistant manager and then the manager. And I was teaching water safety instruction, like、uh, swim lessons. Most people、mm. <laughs> understand it as to like children, infants, adults.、Um, and that's where I started to teach. And I kind of I really enjoyed that teaching, you know, connecting with people、mm-hmm. uh, when I was young and、uh, having that responsibility over you know, not just myself, but with three other people, how to manage a large facility with you know, teenagers that are working for you, along with people who are in their 30s and 40s.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> having all those different attitudes and、um, viewpoints was very challenging,、mm-hmm. uh, but it definitely taught me a lot of patience. Right, <laughs> and along with Aikido teaching. Right, yeah, you yeah combined a, in the future、right. with the two, and yeah, definitely have patience for a lot of situations.、Mm. Not many people have that, <laughs> <laughs> including myself. It's a learned skill, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> right, okay. And、uh, so, so, prior to Osakana,、mm-hmm. you also worked at a bunch of great restaurants in New York City、mm-hmm. um, based on your CIA education.、Right. So, maybe you can tell us where you worked and what you learned from yeah, each place. Of course. So, CIA was actually right in the middle of like, my like, food path, I guess you could say.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I started first off as a porter at、um, Butterfield Kitchen. It was right next to my dojo, it was like a catering kitchen.、Mm. I was there from like 5 a.m. till 6 30 p.m., right before class started. <laughs> and I just like, go right into the dojo, change, and go to class.、Um, and that taught me a lot about the hard work that you know, my father was alluding to in the、mm. past. And just, Understanding the labor that goes into the production of food, how many people it takes to kind of produce all that and run all that,、mm-hmm. and how much each person's individual contributions matter.、Right. And like looking back, and at that point, I was just like, oh, cool, I'm just you know, cleaning equipment and you know, burning my hands and just like sweeping <laughs> floors, but I loved it. I loved it.、Um, and I guess you know, being a deck boy first, that's my first job, you know, and cleaning kind of go hand in hand. <laughs>、um, And then from there, they helped me get a job at this、uh, Vietnamese restaurant called Fuss 66 down in Hell's Kitchen.、Um, mm. It's since been closed, but、uh, that was my first real like, prep cook job. And the chef and the sous chef,、uh, Justin and Victor and Chef Greg, were very, very patient with me.、Um, because in between my time as a porter and my time as a prep cook, I was like, doing time trials with knife skills and knife sharpening, butchering chickens, trying to teach myself as much as I could.、Mm. Because, again, my father saying, hey, look, if you want to succeed, you have to kind of learn more than what the other people know. And、uh, at that point, I had to teach myself. And,、mm. you know, he, would, he would help me. You know, my family would kind of help. They'd eat all the food that I would like, create. And all that was terrible. <laughs> like, it was something that you know, I got to practice, and you know, they were very supportive. But,、um, and so I was a prep cook there, and then I became a line cook. And I just, through everybody's guidance, learned a lot about leadership, what leadership can be.、Mm. And then from there, I moved on to work at、uh, Dirty Bird in Tribeca for like a few months and just learned about like the area of Tribeca, how to do deliveries and such. And、mm. then from there, moved very quickly into Ipuro. And、mm. that was like my first kind of Japanese 
restaurant experience and I learned another tier of skills like slicing sashimi <laughs> and I was like how do I learn this at Ibudo <laughs> and uh, sharpening Japanese style knives and you know learning how to do proper tempura all these things um, and thanks to like Andrew and like Dustin and just having again patience mm. patience for my willingness to learn and my willingness to really work hard and mm. well, you know one, let me interrupt yeah. for a second about the Japanese sharpening Japanese mm. knives I don't want to get into like details yeah. but <laughs> what, what's the basic difference it's uh, so a regular western knife is what's considered 50-50 like bevel uh, so it's like even mm-hmm. a Japanese knife is almost like a chisel so mm, it's offset like one sided yeah almost almost so it's offset mm. so that you could say that anywhere between eight, 70 to 80% of the blade is on the right hand side because mm. most people are right handed and the other 20-30% of the blade is on the left hand side so it's a much steeper angle so it's uh, you can't see my hands but <laughs> it's a little bit uh, right. steeper so you don't just sharpen both sides the same you sharpen one side almost flat and then the other side very steep mm. yeah. interesting and that leads to a, a sharper cutting edge Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Right. So, so the, uh, they put out and then, uh, the other place, the ring. Mm-hmm. And he went to Mapeche. Yeah. By so, Momofuku. um, that was actually during my time at CIA. I did an externship at Mapeche and, oh. um, as part of the, the whole like experience at the CIA, they send you out for 18 weeks mm. or longer, depending on your break. And, um, so I was there as a line cook and it was a really interesting experience because mm. it was the first, I guess, high volume restaurant mm. that I worked at. And it was just nonstop from start to finish. And that taught me how to move fast, <laughs> <laughs> like how to move fast, how to really be organized and how to help out your teammates and actually ask for help, mm. you know, because the smaller kitchen, not as much people to actually like uh, help around. So you have to ask. If you're falling behind, that way, if you fall behind, everyone else falls behind. Mm, <laughs> so it's a very like, yeah, right. but, yeah, it's a very tight sort of like network there. So um, that was my first real intense line cook experience, where like sweaty, hot, crazy anger, like, mm. and all the kind of prior experiences before that allowed me to deal with those things properly, mm. which was nice. Um, and then before I left, you know, I had the chef Ian Davis and Heather and they were very like, oh, you so you want to go to Japanese food? And they're like, oh, you could do it, you know. And I'd never heard that before. Like, oh, you could actually do that. Mm. And um, you're there. You, it's okay. You can. It's something that you can actually pursue. If you want to do it, just learn and just do it. Mm. And that to me was like a big push. Just like, okay, so after I graduate from CIA, I want to work somewhere that is I can learn all these things that mm. I've been slowly learning over the years. Um, but really kind of focus on, on one specific thing, which right. ended up being fish. At mm, interesting. Right. So you, you had an opening, you know, so kind of was just open or something? Like yeah, that? yeah. They just opened July of 2016. Mm. And I applied for the butcher apprenticeship. And I just from there, I mean, the first couple of weeks were crazy. Yuji-san or Haraguchi-san was like, oh, don't touch any fish. Just, <laughs> just watch. Mm. And just watch. And that worked for me. Because, like, from Aikido, it's like uh, minerai, just, like, watch and learn. Mm. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. Right. Just, like, watch just for, like, two weeks. And then I was able to finally cut some fish. Mm. Well, I, I got lucky because you now, Dr. Sakana, and I, it's just my neighborhood. So I really look forward to seeing you because you have great knowledge yeah, and, you know, like, it's a warm hospitality no, to storefront. So that means a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the concept of uh, Osakana. Mm. So what is it and what's special about uh, Osakana compared to other fishmongers? Right. So it's a good question because a lot of people even walk into the shop sometimes. They're like, so what do you guys do? 
And, you know, no amount of signage, no amount of like literature is going to change that question. I really love that question because it's a multifaceted operation. We have two main focuses. It's education um, and then fish, right? Fish production. But we combine the two. So we mm -hmm. teach people through retail. You know, you can come into the store, talk to us about what fish you're trying to get for, for cooking or sashimi and what do you want to take home. And we'll tell you, it's okay, so this fish is good. We got it like a few days ago. It's been marinating for three days and it'll probably be best to cook for like uh, six minutes at 450 or like something. And just right. having that conversation is very important. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have to add, mm -hmm. so, if, you know, listeners, we've never been to Osakana. You open the door, there's a beautiful, <laughs> almost like a jewelry case. <laughs> yeah. That's Italian pastry Yeah, case. Italian pastry case, yeah. Completely uh, temperature controlled and there's no wet mm. melting ice. Right. And it's, it's all on plates. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> just keep watching it for like a couple minutes before I choose anything. <laughs> yeah, so that's the difference, right? Right. Is that, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that other fish markets are less friendly. It's just that that's our goal. Our mm. goal is to educate, whether it be through retail or through having all the classes. And um, the other parts where we're like a central kitchen and like small lunch counter for the weekdays uh, for, you know, the general public. People can come in, they can sit down, have like a chirashi or a sashimi or makase. Mm. And, you know, they could sit as long as they want. Right. <laughs> you know? Or you can take out. Or you can take out. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we like to have that option because they can come in while we're butchering fish. They'll be eating and they can still talk to us about what we're doing and mm. still trying to have those conversations. Right. Or they could just sit down and eat their food and just kind of watch you know, mm. whatever they want to do. Right. Because regular fishmongers, I, I like going to those places too, mm. but you know, the, the ice is melting, everybody's so busy and right. just a pick and choose and go. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's the difference, a mm. big difference. Right. We do our very best to kind of take our time. Mm. It's like one customer at a time. Right. Yeah. And uh, well, we'll talk about your classes and the mm -hmm. stuff um, in a minute, but uh, where do you source your fish? So it's all East Coast. Um, so that's anywhere from south of Canada, Gulf of Maine, all the way down to like South Florida. Mm. Um, the fish specifically is coming from um, Fulton Fish Market in Hunts Point in the mm. Bronx. Uh, that's where a lot of the fish lands from uh, all over and just gets distributed from there. Mm, so I've never been there, but it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, if you go on a Thursday, it's a good day to go because it's very busy and um, you get there at like midnight and you see sometimes the tuna rolling in on the red carpet. Not oh, really, yeah. but you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. you have all the butchery, like, um, but you can't just buy like retail portions. You have to buy a whole fish. Like, right. You have to go in and be like, oh, I want that hundred pound tuna loin. Right. Well, yeah. I can't buy it, but I have to find a space and I have right. to learn exactly. how to cook it. So I'll leave it to you. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So, so that's the, your philosophy, right? Mm. Only stick with local fish. Right. Right. Okay. And, uh, I'm curious how people, you know, walk in a store, there's no Norwegian salmon or right. anything. <laughs> so what's their reaction? Uh, some people, Walk in, they see, they ask, oh, is there, do you have salmon, tuna? And we're like, yeah, we have tuna, but no salmon. It's not in season yet. You know, we wait till June for Alaska. And like, okay. And they'll walk out. Mm. And that's okay. And then maybe they'll come back a week later and they'll say, okay, let me try your fish. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're not going to pressure somebody. Or, but it's all about saying, okay, look, we'll have it in June. If you want to, you can come by in June. And, or you can come by next week and try something else, you know. Mm. Um, but that's really just because of what's available in the supermarkets. Right. You know, people go, they go to Seatown, they go to Associated, Key Food, Sunrise Mart, and they see those three things usually, like mm -hmm. salmon, tuna, or like hamachi, yellow yeah. And those are the three main, like, farm-raised fish that you'll mm -hmm. see, like, most uh, preeminently. Right. And one thing I always buy, almost always buy, is the kama. 
The kama, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the best part. <laughs> right. So is it, can yeah. you explain what kama is yeah. for? Uh, so kama is the collar. Uh, so essentially for a larger fish, say something more than three or four pounds, um, the kama is almost like the, you could say the chicken wing of the, mm. of the fish. It's like really nice, meaty, uh, a lot of bones. So you usually scrape it with a spoon or eat it just with two hands like a chicken wing if nobody's watching. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. um, but the larger the fish, the larger the kama. So mm. like tuna kama is very good. Right. You can, it's so it's just like throw it on the grill, like marinate it overnight, just mm. pop it on the grill, just let it cook, and just eat it with spoon. Yeah, I think it's uh, thrown away, right? In yeah, so many people throw it away. That's so sad. Yeah. I mean, it's huge, so I understand, but it's there's a way to use it. You oh, know, that's the best part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, if you go to Japanese supermarkets in mm. Japan, mm. there's a huge come always couple. Really? Oh my god! <laughs> and it's, it's not cheap. It's but it's priced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well. Let's try more kama. Yeah, try more kama. Everybody <laughs> should eat more colors. <laughs> right. But any, uh, so in terms of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the name of local fish, what mm. kind of fish do you offer? Oh, quite a few. Um, a lot of the things will depend on the season. But like right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, striped bass uh, from Maryland. It's coming out of season. We're starting to see more striped bass now from hopefully Rhode Island and New York. Mm. Um, fluke, black sea bass coming out of like Montauk, uh, porgy coming from either Long Island or South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, and there's a lot of different types of porgy. So you'll mm. see them small, large, like medium size. And it's crazy. Uh, sea porgy ramen. is amazing. Porgy is so good. Yeah. A lot of people don't give it enough credit. Mm, and it's, it's such a waste. I will <laughs> keep loyal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those are just a few examples. Like we'll see grouper now. Um, and hopefully more like sea trout, what's uh, considered weak fish. Mm. Um, really lovely fish. Great for sashimi. Right. Um, but also the belly is really lovely for cooking. It's, it gets really dry and crispy. Mm. So it's so good because it's almost like a fat, like almost like a salmon belly. Right. Yeah. And the bluefish, right? And bluefish, yeah. Bluefish right now, Long Island. It's looking gorgeous. Really mm. bright. I'd say that if you get it, when we get it, the day we get it, it's great for like ceviche. Mm. That's what we used to eat when we were little with my dad and you go fishing. Okay. Yeah, yeah bluefish is pretty perishable. That's why, right. like other markles and all these mm -hmm. fish, so... Um, that's one thing it's really, I have problem finding. Mm, in like in, a condition. Yeah, yeah. So the salsa kind of is a go-to place for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And, um, maybe do you have any idea of what kind of fish people should eat more? Yeah. I mean, porgy is one of them. Uh, mm. definitely. Um, sea robin, when we get it, it's really lovely. It's considered a bycatch. Some people would call it, unfortunately, like trash fish. Uh, just because it looks scary, it has big fins, a small head. I mean, it's cute if you look at it. Yeah. Really, like, take a second. <laughs> it almost looks like a little dog, but um, that's a beautiful fish to eat. It tastes a lot like oysters and has a really nice firm texture for sashimi. And it's one of the fish that you don't have to freeze at all, so you could just catch it. So people go fishing right now. Mm -hmm. It's fishing season. Um, while they're catching like fluke or something, they may catch sea robin by accident. And it's uh, don't throw it back. Take it mm. and you know eat it. It's it's very very good. Like, isn't it hard to? Cut, you know, the it's only the head. Plate. The head's the only thick part, like crazy thick part. Everything else is pretty easy. It's almost like a saba, the same like oh, size as a saba. So right. if you think about it, like a small fish, almost just like porgy, right? It's just a lot smaller, a little bit more like cylindrical. It's you'll mm. treat it the same way. I'm getting super hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about uh, great cooking classes and dinner tastings word uh, at Osakana. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. 
Koin is part of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the well natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit koin.com. Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from the studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Atema, and my guest today is Jonathan Garcia, who is a general manager at Osakana, an innovative fishmonger in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So um, let's talk about your classes mm-hmm. at Osakana. So what kind of programs do you offer? Uh, there's quite a few. Um, I'll focus more on like the more popular classes. So we have split into two sections, the group classes and the semi-private or private hands-on classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as for group classes, we like to focus on educating you know, a large group of people about certain tastes of things, right? So we have like a pickling class, um, focusing on like a broad spectrum of Japanese styles of pickling, but also uh, reinforcing it with some Western styles, seeing how we can kind of combine the two, mm-hmm. uh, like koji, like we were talking about earlier, or mm-hmm. like sakakasu and misozuke. Um, and then we have like a J-Prep class, Japanese preparations, showing people how they can cure fish and handle fish uh, within like a certain period of time. Because a lot of people think they buy fish and then they have to eat it that one day. Hmm. But if they get high quality fish and it looks great, they can actually cure it, preserve it, maybe have it for like a few days. So that way they can actually plan the same way they would plan with other proteins, hmm. uh, like their whole week around that. And then the more hands-on classes would be like the sushi class. We focus on like Kansai style sushi, like a Oshi sushi, like Tamari sushi and... Um, Mm, like, it's like a press sushi and right. also like little cute bowl yeah, yeah, style yeah. sushi. Uh, and a little bit of like maki. Just because a lot of people think of sushi, they just think of the Edomai style, the Tokyo style. And mm. I would just, never make right. it myself. <laughs> right, most people don't. And uh, <laughs> so a lot of, you know, people in New York are in general are just surprised when they see other types. Mm. Like, oh, they, we didn't know. Um, so they find it easier to do at home. Because it's so much more relatable. Yeah, that's what Japanese people do. Because a nigiri and edumai sushi Mm -hmm. that you know, chefs make, it's like it's untouchable. You know (laughs) that you're gonna fail compared to what you can have, right? Yeah, considering like, oh my gosh, all the traditions and the techniques that go into it, it's it's very intimidating. Right in your head, you always compare like, what a failure I make. So yeah, it's like uh, you know, that's the the one you, you know, the teaching at your place Mm -hmm. is. Not just making it approachable, right. but it's going to be on the menu. Right, right. Right, this yeah. week, coming week. Yeah, but just to, um, I want to just uh, set the scene of how your teaching room mm-hmm. looks like. So if you oh, go yeah. into, like, maybe you can explain. Yeah, so you walk in, you go through the little door, and um, you see a bar. A lot of people think that that's the bar to eat at. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, is the classroom back there? 
but it's the bar and we want to have that sort of like uh itamai style like the cutting like the board in front of you and everybody's just kind of sitting down and we have a face-to-face kind of mm. uh conversation you could say right it's like uh, a really big open kitchen yeah and you are looking at each section right, right. right. <laughs> yeah and it's nice it's nice to have people sitting next to each other kind of working next to each other and it really promotes that conversation that we always try to have mm. and um the lighting also helps too it makes it really nice and <laughs> yeah <special>. right <laughs> it's like a theater yeah right yeah it's so inviting and even from uh, the storefront you can mm. see what's happening in the back right right, right? so it's like oh what's happening yeah. a lot of people think it's dinner time but it's just classes <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's, it's always like fun looking mm-hmm. having like a party mm. yeah one of the things that caught my eyes in your calendar that's uh, food education shokuik class mm. So what kind of things do you teach? Ah, so that's a general, like our general, I guess, philosophy on, on the, all the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the one that's more, I guess, most in line with that would be either the fish butchery or like the head to fin class. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two are very much about like care and understanding how to utilize the product or the fish for multiple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the head to fin class would be a three and a half hour class, a comprehensive class about uh, breaking down the fish, scaling, gutting, removing the blood, using using all the tools that we have at the store to show you how to clean that fish and then filleting that fish mm-hmm. properly. Uh, if you do well, we'll use some for sashimi. If you don't do well, we'll figure out how to make it for cooking. Right. Um, and you know, we'll cure that fish and then we'll use the bones for like broth. We'll make some dashi. Mm-hmm. We'll wash the rice. Do like a takikome gohan, it's like mm-hmm. a mixed rice. And um, showing people how to use all the local products along with the local fish mm-hmm. together to create like a very simple menu that they can kind of replicate at home mm. um, you know given some time you know it, right well that's really the mindset right mm-hmm. you have filet right. that's it and beef steak right. <laughs> that kind of like uh, what people say waste right right tend to be to me i think in, in this japanese culture mm-hmm. it's a delicacy right right so even um, you know that like blowfish mm-hmm. in season you have the whole blowfish course and it's really literally head to tail, mm. even the tail. Right. Yeah. And it's a crisp and uh, was kind of floating on the hot sake, ah, that kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah, so I think you're teaching this uh, the mottainai, mm. yeah. no waste concept. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, well, I was the, the other class I was I was thinking of taking is uh, egg, eggs oh, on eggs. eggs. Yeah. <laughs> what, do we, what do you teach? Uh, so it's four different techniques. <clears throat> um, one of them is probably very, very simple, like the just the ajisuke tamago, like the cured egg. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have this um, idea about boiling eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Turn on the water, turn off the water, put the egg inside, you know, add vinegar, add salt or whatever. Um, when it's really simple, it's just six and a half minutes in boiling water and you'll have a perfectly cooked soft-boiled egg. So that blows people's minds. Mm. like, oh, that's it? And you know, that's really, I, I have no consistency when I do it, <laughs> so maybe I just take it. Right. Uh, right. So that's just one egg. Then we'll, you know, peel it, show people how to cure it, and they'll take that egg home. And, you know, over the next couple of days, they'll see it change. And that's mm. just like almost like the ramen egg. And then we'll do like a chawanmushi, show people how to put together a chawanmushi. And it's time consuming because you have to whisk the eggs, strain the eggs, make your dashi. Mm. Uh, so it's a very kind of like fast-paced kind of class because you're doing a few things at once. Right. That's only because we have an hour to get everything ready. So right. I don't like to do the, oh, here, this is what we did through like a day ago. Um, I want to show people from start to finish that it's possible to do it within a very specific amount of time mm. if you plan it out. Um, and then we'll do uh, the dashi tamago, mm-hmm. the rolled omelette. Um, and I show people, you can you don't need a tamago yaki pan. Like, you could just use a 
a nice nonstick circular pan. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use chopsticks. You can use a spatula. It's okay. Mm. And then show them the different types of like if I use uh, dashi with more bonito flakes versus dashi with less versus uh, more regular soy sauce, less soy sauce. Right. Uh, how to make it sweet or savory. Uh, that way they have options. Mm. So dashi, you know, at the end of the course, mm. there's a dashi tamago. Right, right. That's the chef test. Right, right. And you personalize everything. Yeah. So in a little piece of egg. So, and also the chawanmushi is such mm. a simple thing. I remember, I think when I was in middle school in Japan, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, the cooking class at, right. at school. And it's, it's hard to make it without, you need a smooth surface, right. but you can be a little, like, you know, Swiss cheese kind of oh, looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't cook too much. Yeah, like a, a too many air pockets. If you yeah. whisk it too much. Uh, that's good for like omelets, but if you do that for the chawanmushi, it's just too much mm. air. Right. So that way it just, when it cooks, it's just a lot of air pockets inside. Mm. Yeah. So I really think I should take the class. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very simple looking, but such a deep education, mm. right? Okay. And uh, of course, you have ramen at home mm-hmm. and Japanese preparation of fish, uh, fish like you, you mentioned. And so what, what are the reactions from uh, the participants? It's, it varies. Um, you know, we get the people that are very serious about cooking at home. They're taking the class because, and they bring a notebook and they just take notes throughout the whole class. They ask all the questions, they raise their hand. And, <laughs> and then you have the people that are a little bit more like, I want to kind of maybe add one thing to my, to my repertoire. And they'll sit back and they'll let the other people ask the questions. And then at the end of class, after everybody leaves, they're like, oh, so. Which is <laughs> <laughs> fine. And it's great. They, maybe they were too shy. And then they'll take some notes and they're like, okay, cool. I got it. And I just want to focus on this, get it right. And then I'll focus on everything else later mm. uh, so those are the two main like uh types of people that we'll see right. um, how many people can you have at the uh, for the group class we do maximum eight people because mm. it's the bar so we can't seat more people than the bar uh, for the semi-private or hands-on classes we'll do from like four to six people mm. and if we do just a straight up private class it could be one-on-one or like one-on-two one-on-four um whatever the uh, student wants to do oh wow yeah. so you can just sign up for private class yeah, yeah we try to fit it like mainly during the weekdays and uh i mean if it's really pressing i'll stay later and have people come in after we close the shop so we can accommodate them mm. um but try to like the earlier you do it the easier it is to get the private class right so we yeah mm. okay and are you also for tasting dinners mm-hmm. so what kind of uh, menus do you offer ah so that's all uh daniel daniel lee he's the the chef there um he focuses a lot on combining like the washoku and that he learned from us and with his French training because he's trained French mm. for the past like eight to ten years. Okay. Uh, so he's got like 50-50 French and Japanese and huh. uh, he's approaching it like as it were kaiseki, mm. but he doesn't want it to be super formal. Mm. Uh, he wants people to enjoy the experience, you know, relax. Uh, which is kind of in line with what we do. Mm. Um, but as far as the menu goes, it's all pescatarian. It's all seafood-based. Using all the local fish that we have, you know, that week. Um, kind of coming up with the menu as the week goes on. And by Friday, he has it set. Uh, so it'll change. It'll change. It's changing every week. And, mm. But always focuses on, like, the vegetables, the produce, the fish that we have available to us during that specific time. Uh, is, is he uh, it's done, you know, the chef in residence or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so he does all the preparation. But yeah. he can cook French as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Well, it's not fair to just ask people, you know, just because it's Osaka's Japanese origin, right. you don't have to use it for Japanese exactly. style. Exactly. And it's interesting to see the two kind of combine because Japanese cuisine meshes very well with a lot of other cuisines mm. uh, very easily. You take maybe one or two principles from it and you can just 
take it out and insert it into another cuisine and it just fits. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, the Japanese modern, relatively modern style tend to be really mm. mixed up with Western yeah. and make comfort food. So. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And you also have ramen tasting experience. Yeah. That's so one. that's a cool way to introduce people to uh, like the fish style of broth. Um, so we do like the asari style, the light style, which is almost like a chicken noodle soup. Mm. Uh, it's very light. Not a lot of people say it's not very fishy. Mm-hmm. So um, asari style is like light, yes, clean. Yeah, clean. Almost mm. like a tea. Mm. Uh, and then we have the kotteri style, which is like rich, milky. What most people have is like the tonkotsu. Mm-hmm. So we'll do the tuna kotsu. So like instead of uh, pork, we'll use tuna bones. Mm. Um, but still it's a lighter, cleaner? Still lighter, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, on a scale of like one to ten, it's like a four or five. It's not very, very rich mm. um, because it's still fish. You know? right. um, so that way we'll show people like usually two different styles of broth and then a mazamen, um, which is the mixed noodles, just very thick, chewy noodles. And we'll have fun with it, you know. Um, but as the summertime comes in, we'll usually maybe do two, like, cold dishes and then one broth. Mm. Just because not everybody may want to have hot ramen. Right, right. <laughs> you know, whole, like, three, like, all together. Mm. So Although we, some people say if it is hot, it's right. like eating it's, hot curry. Right, yeah. You know, you just sweat. Sweat out. it out, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, all right, so... What's the most challenging things for you to communicate Japanese fish culture? Because it's, it's been, we've been talking about the difference. Right. Uh, I would say it's um, quality. A lot of people come in, and like we said earlier, are expecting a very specific type of fish. Um, and they're not actually aware that there's many species of fish. There's like 65 species of fish that we can get from the Atlantic pretty mm. easily throughout the year. 65? Yeah. I mean, that we see a lot of. Um, and it'll change year by year. Like this year, we didn't see most of it. We saw very little of it because of mm. the weather. Mm. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing, associating that we can have East Coast fish at the quality of, you know, the Japanese fish markets in mm. Japan. Um, and it's all about handling. Right. But that's the whole mission, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> of the Osakana to educate people, mm-hmm. and I, I really hope it's gonna work. Yeah, me too. It's little by little, though. We can't force it. Right. We have to like make sure people really want to accept that. Mm. So, what do you think about? You know, it's closely related. Mm. But what do you think about the sustainability and seafood? You know, endangered, endangered species, and also right. the supply. Shortage. I mean, it's all about how you catch your fish, right? Um, the reason we do hook and line or spear caught fish is so that you can actually be accountable for the fish that you're catching. Mm. Whereas a lot of places will buy fish that are caught with nets. And um, one, the nets will kill the fish before they even pull them up. And two, you're dragging whatever fish you wanted to catch along with random fish. So you don't really, you're not aware of everything you're catching. And then three, it's along the ocean floor sometimes. Mm. Uh, and you're kind of pulling up all the stuff on the ocean floor and destroying that environment. Right. So it's really just about being aware. You can't say, oh, everybody stop doing net fishing because nobody's going to listen. Mm. It's not about that. It's just about understanding what the impact is and how we can make it better, how we can change it. Right. So that way the quality of the fish is better, the quality of the ocean stays, you know, as like where hopefully becomes better mm. in the future. And then just making people aware of the, the differences. Because I think if people are aware of the difference in quality, they'll be more inclined to purchase hook and line mm. fish. But it's just, it takes time. Right. Well, that's interesting though because... Everybody wants to be healthier right. and eat more fish, mm-hmm. but you have to be more careful. But then, you know, there's an issue of farmed fish. Right. What do you think about farmed fish? I wouldn't say it's very much an issue. It's just expensive. It's mm-hmm. very expensive to have high quality farmer's fish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest challenge. You can't necessarily rent out all the ocean, you know, and right. there's chances of escaping and like 
crossbreeding and there's a lot of challenges and uh, I really, really, you have to kind of invest in the farm raised movement because if say it doesn't work out in 50 years, we need to have something else to eat, mm. you know, and, and nutritionally they're a little bit different, you know, because of the feeds and such, but hopefully it gets better. Um, but you just be aware of where you're getting your farm raised fish from. Right. Like a lot of places in Indonesia, sometimes Taiwan, um, don't have the best practices. Uh, they're very dirty. There's a lot of other like feces in there, mm. in the feed and such. So just educate yourself a little bit. Like a quick Google search will right. <laughs> typically solve any questions that you have. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just. I think the future is very difficult in a way, as far as you just don't think about it. Right. So, right. And you know the uh, see the watch, see food, the watch by Monterey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great guy. Right. And the study really keeps changing, too. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of scary. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, Chilean sea bass, that was like so red. Now right. it's okay. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I have to say, I like the flakiness, but <laughs> I'm just trying to stay away from it because you never know. Right. It right? can change very quickly. Mm. Right. Okay. And uh, so... You know, you have a very interesting path to get here. <laughs> so, I mean, this doesn't have to be related to Osakana, mm-hmm. but how how do you look back your career path? Uh, it's been something that had to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it wasn't all perfectly aligned, but because of all the mentors I've had in the past and the experiences I've had outside of the industry, um, it led me to Osakana. And like mm-hmm. just being here, I learned a tremendous amount mm. about fish, about myself, about what I want to do in the future. And uh, it's been quite incredible having a very fortunate to have very positive, mm. you know, and supportive mentors. Right. And that's, I think, extremely important. And mm. as I grow older and eventually have my own business, I want to pay that forward to anybody, you know, who works with me or mm. for me. And I think that's the way I want to deal with my future, like, um, enterprises. Mm. whatever they may be right yeah you're such a giver as far (laughs) as i know so yeah well congratulations (laughs) thank you okay so where can we find you online uh me personally oh either way (laughs) uh well check out osakanabk.com you can see all our classes uh, any information you have there if you email us you're usually talking to me so (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um but uh, you can also text us too if you see the number online we'll usually respond pretty quickly unless we're in a class or something mm. uh, but me personally don't even bother my instagram's very dry it's just me and my wife so. <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet yeah. <laughs> okay so uh listeners it's osakana bk um all right and uh also listeners i really suggest that you visit osakana because it's such a you know good cause oriented and the fish is great so uh all right, Jansen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys so much. All right. So, uh, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please let, let us know. Uh, you can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatem.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And our engineer is uh, Matt Patterson. And we'll take a short spring break. And we have a wonderful lineup in the new season as well. So the next episode will be on Monday, May 6th. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Oh, no, no, May 6th. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.